Resiliency Within, with host Elaine miller Karras, is brought to you by Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. Visit TraumaResourceInstitute.com. Welcome to Resiliency Within, featuring your host, Elaine miller Karras. In unprecedented times, our beliefs and well-being are put to the test. When we take the things we've learned in life and look at challenges in a whole new way, we learn to develop resiliency, which can then be used to promote healing and personal strength. Now, here is Elaine miller Karras. Welcome to Resiliency Within. I'm Elaine miller Karras coming to you from sunny California. Well, today I have a friend and a colleague, Dr. Ingrid Duva, who will be sharing her work with us. And before I want to tell you a little bit about the show, and we're going to talk a little bit about COVID. So, you know, we've seen an uptick, uptick in COVID-19 over the last few weeks. In fact, um, my husband got COVID and we've been working real hard not to get it. And he got it when we decided to go on our first trip. But I've been talking to people all over the country that are saying, oh my goodness, we got COVID, we got COVID. I have a good buddy that's a doctor at a local hospital, and she tells me that there's more people again, in the, uh, sadly, in their intensive care unit. And I guess some of us kind of are living with a with a, an illusion that maybe we're over it, but obviously we're not. And people, sadly, are still getting sick from it, and they're still dying. So I think that the strain on the healthcare system, as we know, has been unprecedented, and that hasn't necessarily gone away. So COVID-19 exacerbated the stress and trauma universally, creating a secondary pandemic that increased demand for mental health care in a system on the verge of crisis. So an intense and immediate need for population well-being support resulted, and subsequent requests for resiliency training quickly followed. And, you know, we certainly have seen this all over the country, but there is a special group in Georgia. And in response, Dr. Ingrid Duva, my guest today, and nurses in Georgia certified to teach the community resiliency model that we've spoken many times about in this program. And I, for those of you that are new listeners, I'll tell you a little bit about what that is. But they fast-tracked bringing community um, resiliency model sk skills because they wanted to share this really mental health wellness training program across their state. So this successful nurse-led response to the crisis capitalized on statewide organizations existing efforts to bolster well-being and reduce trauma. Partnerships were formed, and she's going to tell us a little bit about that because systems change really involve partnerships. And so she's going to tell us a little bit about that and the joint aims that were identified to disseminate the community resiliency model as the self-care modality. That means anybody can use it to individuals and organization and communities throughout the state. So an evaluation of this program was recently published, and I'm so proud of you. Congratulations, um, Ingrid, in the American Journal of Public Health, a very prestigious journal. So Dr. Duva today will discuss the results of their efforts and the implications to the well-being of frontline workers nationwide, because there are more than nurses that are frontline workers. I mean, they have certainly bore the brunt of it, but there's doctors, people that work in hospitals, police officers, fire, I mean... Grocery store workers, I think about them. So I want to tell you a little bit more about Ingrid. She is Dr. Ingrid Duva. She has her PhD. She is also a nurse. She's an assistant clinical professor at Nell Hodgson's Woodruff School of Nursing, Emory University. She also serves as faculty for the Quality Scholars Fellowship with the Veterans Healthcare Administration. In addition to being a certified CRIM trainer, Dr. Duva has advanced training in quality improvement, implementation science, and leadership. 
Her clinical background is acute care pediatrics and school nursing. As a health, health service searcher, researcher, Dr. Diva's studies examine the role of nurses to care delivery and their relationship to the work environment. So the, the community resiliency model, for those of you that are new, is based on cutting-edge neuroscience and teaches six wellness skills to restore the mind, body, and spirit to well-being during or after a traumatic or highly stressful experience. So it is biologically based, educating about the autonomic nervous system and how the body responds to stress. And it can be learned by kids, by teens, by adults to stabilize emotions and their nervous system and their sensory system resulting in more adaptive thinking when facing emotional or physical distress. So CRIM has been used across many cultures and we train natural leaders of communities. And um, we can talk a little bit more about that as we talk to um, Dr. Duva. So Ingrid, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. This is my favorite podcast, so I am honored to be a guest. Oh my gosh, I love that. I I'm the, I think you're the first person that's ever told me that yet. So, oh my gosh. So, oh my, that makes, that brings some warmth to my heart. So what's on your mind today as we get started? Well, I am squeezing this in um, between work and we've been invited to um, introduce the community resiliency model to the campus police here at Emory and some of the other uh, locations that the um, security and police um, cover, which would be um, Grady Hospital and Mid Emory has a Midtown location, but we're going to be meeting with them at their shift change this evening. So between um, 630 and 730, and they're giving us about 30 minutes. They want to be introduced to the model. And I am tossing around in my mind, how am I going to share what I would like to teach in a week in 30 minutes, just to let them know what it is so that they can come back to us to get more information. So I'm thinking of that hook that I need. <laughs> that hook um, or that, I call it an appetizer yeah. so that you're going to come in. But anyway, oh my goodness, thank you so much. You know, we are, um, we feel that law enforcement certainly is in the front line and to be able to support them in any way that we can right now, because they're facing a lot of difficult things. And also when we think that law enforcement can be in their zone of well-being, then perhaps then when they're making decisions that they will treat people all with respect. And because I think sometimes when people are bumped out of their zone, including law enforcement, is when the, the, the troubles and the challenges happen, when they may have responses that, you know, results in the injury or the death of someone that didn't need to happen. So thank you so much for doing that. So you're doing that right after this. So you have a busy, a busy, uh, a busy day for yourself out there in Atlanta, Georgia, where you live. Well, why don't we start a little bit? Because Ingrid, you're a nurse. And what called you to nursing? Can I ask you that first? What called you to nursing? You can ask me that, but it's not um, that interesting of a story. I would tell you that I was at the university studying my pre, you know, my first two years, and I've always been very interested in health and wellness. However, and so I was looking at one of the health professions, and um, like many listeners, my mom's a nurse, and so it felt <laughs> a little bit familiar, and I thought these classes look great. I'm interested in health and wellness. I want to help people. And, and truly, I mean, you know, as a 19 year old making that decision, probably not the right thoughts went into it, but I will say it's been a very rewarding career and, 
I would promote the profession as hard as it is for anyone, because I think there's so many different ways that you can actually be a nurse. And so we've kind of got that broad reach. So here I am still. A well, nurse and was your, years was your mom happy that you decided on the profession or did she say, are you sure Ingrid, you want to do this or not? She did say, are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> she did. She did well. say, well, I'm not a, I'm not a blood and guts person. And, um, and she knew that I had been there on those nights. I remember she used to work the evening shift and she would come home late at night and would not be able to go to bed because she had to kind of de-stress from her shift. And so she just said, you're, you know, you're picking a hard job. So just know that. Well, isn't it interesting that she had a hard time de-stressing and you're working in the field to help nurses de-stress with the community resiliency model. So that's actually kind of an interesting story, um, Ingrid. You probably have to maybe reframe that experience. <laughs> right. but you not only are a nurse, you are a nurse practitioner. Is that correct? Or no, you're, uh, you have your PhD in nursing. Yeah, so, yes. so I, I do have my master's, but I went into, and it probably connects, it, it all actually connects. I went, when I got my master's degree, I went into um, management leadership and health administration. And I think the reason why is I was looking for my best fit in nursing. And as opposed to taking care of the patients, I really wanted to take care of the staff and create a work environment where the staff could be their best selves and the, and the best nurses would really sort of rise to the top and have opportunity to make a difference in patient care because there are some amazing nurses out there and we just need to keep replicating those. Well, I love that you found the right place for you because I think when, maybe people are considering a field, maybe they think nursing is only bedside nursing, but there's many, many opportunities within nursing to do many things. And so um, you went on to get your PhD and you're right. bringing that leadership now into many, many different fronts with the community resiliency model. And I imagine other things that you've done in your professional career. So, so, so did you get your PhD because you wanted to do the leadership piece? Is that what, cause that's a lot of work, Ingrid. <laughs> I know, yes. I know. And I'm not sure if I could do it again, knowing what I know now, but I actually was already in leadership. I had been in leadership at the children's healthcare organization here in Atlanta and um, went into an internal consulting position so that I was traveling to hospitals all over the country, doing some management training, doing some customer service education, working with the staff. And I went back to get my PhD purely because I was often the only nurse in the room making decisions about resources and, and how the work and how the processes would work and, and what, what the nurses needed to get their job done. And I felt like I really... I guess I didn't feel confident enough that I could articulate the contribution that nurses were making and what they needed to make that. So I thought, oh, I'll, you know, I'll go back to school and get my PhD and, and take a break from work. But that's... And here you are. Now, but <laughs> now, I, now, the other thing is that you became a community resiliency model teacher, and that's also an extra certification. You didn't have to do that. What called you to, to do that um, extra certification to become, as we say, CRIM certified? <clears throat> Well, um, I do like to learn new things, but this was purely a selfish um, endeavor when I saw a, saw a flyer hanging in the elevator at my job, which was at the university at that time for a resiliency training and have, being a mom of three kids, I had read that, you know, if, if your children are resilient, like that's the highly associated with success in life. And of course, as parents, we all want our children to be successful. I said, I have to learn about this resiliency. And this was about six years ago, maybe 
five years ago. And so I was like, I'm going to this, I'm going to go to this class and learn about resiliency so that I can be a better mom for my kids. And I went to the class and, but it wasn't what I expected was nothing what I expected. Um, but I did approach the instructor who's Lindy Grabby and said, this is the most amazing set of tools. We need to get this into the kids' schools because I saw the relationship to sort of the resilient zone and, um, you know, emotional regulation, which is such a challenge for children in school. So that's how I got here. So, well, so Ingrid, did you realize you were going to get another additional career (laughs) when you first met met Lindy and then we met? So it's gone a whole interesting way for you, hasn't it? It really has. If you just follow, if you just go through the doors that open for you is what I've learned. I mean, that, you know, paths can take you many places, but the, the pandemic accelerated my work with CRIM, of course, yes. yeah. because there was a need for resiliency training and, and people were looking for opportunities to, you know, manage or increase their own resilience and manage the stress. And I mean, we, that's how this all came about is we had to figure out a way to deploy, um, you know, the skills and training and, and information as fast as we could to respond to to all the requests uh, yeah, and the need, but, you know, I want to just, and also just say one thing and we'll continue with another question. And that is that, you know, we've, we've had a few conversations getting ready for today. And one of the things that I'm very touched about is just, you know, you, you saw this for yourself as a mom and that you wanted to do whatever you could to bring as much wellness into your family. And I think that really is one of the core values of the community resiliency model, that it's not only for nurses, but it's for you as a mom, as a, as a partner, as a member of the community. And so I think that that's one of the, the um, I was inspired by the article that was just published for the evaluation, because I think what happens in Georgia could happen in other states as well. So anyway, I just want to do a shout out to you and all your kids should surround you with just love for knowing that your mom, their mom is always trying to create a better world for them, even though I know at times when they're, um, they enter certain ages, they may not have that same demonstration of appreciation, I'll say. Yes, you know exactly what I mean. Well, right? they did have, I did make them take the class when I was in training. They had, oh, to be you did. Subjects. So, yes. so do they, do they use the skills at all? Or do they say, mom, you're not in your zone? Um, well, they know about the flipping your lid for sure. They uh, like that one. Yes. That's great. Well, that's good. I think we, we, we borrowed that from Dr. Dan Stiegel, but it's a, certainly a useful tool of helping people understand about the neuroscience of how sometimes like we lose our head, but we can get back our yes. head and and act from our, our best self, which is a core concept of the community resiliency model. Absolutely. So, so let's talk a little bit about what prompted, um, you know, what prompted your group, the CRIM certified nurses in Georgia? Cause that is, and it's not only you, it's, um, it's Lindy Grabby, it's um, Jordan Murphy, that you three are kind of like a core group. Um, I know there's others, Marianne Bard and others that have worked as well. Um, to fast track the efforts to spread CRIM across the straight state. So can you talk a little bit about that partnership and why that's been important? And, and so we can kind of understand what y'all have done. Well, I think Lindy was the first person in Georgia to, um, to implement a research study, looking at CRIM and the outcomes 
um, to try to, to demonstrate really the positive outcomes that we all had a hunch were there. And so she had already worked with nurses um, at Emory Healthcare, at the Emory Healthcare System. And um, so we were working with Lindy and we, of course, were already collaborating, those of us that were CRIM teachers. And it was it's more than just nurses that are CRIM teachers in Georgia, but trying to stay connected so that we could help each other with trainings. Um, and so we were already in discussion with um, organizations like Resilient Georgia, who is a nonprofit organization that is really building a pathway to resilience and trying to make it accessible to all, um, primarily children in Georgia. And then um, those discussions were in place as COVID hit. And so we talked about that sort of increased demand with them and the need to get the CRIM trainings out to people and make it accessible to everyone, which means we needed funding and Resilient Georgia um, was so supportive from the beginning, providing us um, relationships to their grantees. And so that we had a mechanism to provide training for people just to attend from the different communities. And at the, at the beginning of COVID, the Georgia Nurses Association had reached out to us to say, we need to do something to support nurses and support the whole state. And we're interested in what you're teaching. And so we formed a relationship, sort of a three-way relationship um, with GNA and Resilient Georgia in order to um, create a network. And we, we felt strongly about reaching everyone in Georgia. So we have 159 counties and most of Georgia is rural, even though, because a lot of us live in Atlanta, we forget about the rest of Georgia, yes, but right. that was really important to us. And um, so to, to kind of increase our reach, when our three organizations got together, we, we had that capability and we could um, meet directly with community leaders across the state and, you know, find out what they needed and what they were interested in, what groups they were prioritizing, because some communities, it was their police department. Some communities, it was the hospitals because they were inundated with patients and they couldn't handle the flow and they couldn't even take patients and, and the staff, you know, sort of were at their max uh, and stressed. And um, in some communities, it was the children. Um, we've worked with the juvenile justice system. And then we did a lot of work through um, educational organizations because in the schools, you know, the teachers are also frontline workers yes. and they were doing amazing things to keep kids um, staying connected to education. And they were putting themselves, it felt like at risk as well, you know, still being out there. So, um, yeah, it really, once once we identified that we had the same goals and we had different things to offer and different strengths and sort of put that all together, um, we were, I mean, looking back now, it's uh, it's pretty amazing. At the time, we were so caught up in in the work and getting it done, but now it's it feels pretty good to see how many people we actually touched in Georgia. Um, and thanks again to those other organizations. Well, and I think that, you know, when other communities may be listening to this and uh, individuals from other communities, really, because we have a worldwide audience, I think it's really important to um, underscore what you all did, because you brought important community stakeholders into the conversation. The Georgia's Nurses Association, Resilient Georgia, the school districts, Emory University, you know, one of the most prestigious universities in the country, really. And so the fact that you had those, you know, those players in also gave you more credibility that what you were doing 
could be not only um, accepted, but also, oh, we need to listen to these folks because, you know, maybe it would be helpful at this moment is to just share what does CRIM do that people, why do people need it? I gave a little brief um, uh, description, but you've been evaluating this. And what does it do that helps people that why it's important to learn it? It doesn't take a long time to learn the skills as we know, but what would you say about that? Well, I guess what I would say, and and again, this is one of the reasons why I was so eager to um, learn and share the model is it's except they're tools. So we've learned about things like emotional intelligence and emotional regulation and managing our stress and um, how to control our thoughts and our feelings. Um, I will say that what is new about CRIM or the community resiliency model or what I feel like is sort of underrepresented in other models is the sensations. So the sensory well-being and using tools to tap into our sensations to to grow our own well-being and and um, sort of our threshold for resilience. So what CRIM is is it's it's like a how-to. So we can talk all day about what we need to do. And I'm an academic, and I love to analyze why and how things are occurring and what's the logic behind it, and you know what came first and what came second. But none of that matters if you don't have, I think, a tool to walk away with. And I think I bring that forward from working in management when I was teaching nurses on the job, they wanted to walk away from a training with something they could do differently. It's a little bit different when you teach in academics because we get into the theory and everything, but I do think people appreciate that they walk away with something they can do for themselves and for their clients. And, you know, frontline workers are kind of action folks, right? (laughs) They're not like, okay, we can hear the academic theory, but just a little bit, but we want to know. So give me, you know, it's kind of like in that movie, who was it? Um, Gooding said, give me the money. (laughs) Give me the the money. (laughs) Show me me the money. Is that you really, they really want to see what are the skills that are going to help me restore that balance within my nervous system and just talking. Yeah. You can talk all, all you want about. Yes. There's all these statistics about yes. Nurses are stressed. Yes. Law enforcement stressed. Yes. All the first responders are stressed. Okay. So now what? Well, so we can, you know, we know that certain things like exercise can be helpful, but if you're too like tired, even to exercise, how are you even going to make that happen? So if we have something that we can be that first kind of level of, of intervention that that's easy to learn, how might that affect, you know, the entire community? So I guess that's the proverbial question, right? And the other important thing that I, I know you make this clear to, to people too, but I think that they uh, re- respond to is that this is not... Re- CRIM is not replacing something they're already doing. I mean, people are already tapping into their resilience. That's how we're all surviving these last few years. But it can, um, you know, right alongside it, it can just be another tool in your toolbox that's so easy to access in the moment. And it can amplify, I think, the yes. the also the resources and strengths you already have. Because oftentimes we think or we feel about it, but we haven't sensed it. So if we like say, oh, I love walking in nature and I'm thinking about the last time I was in the woods and I, there was a stream and, you know, I'm going on and on. But if you said, oh, Elaine, well, what are you noticing on the inside? And I'm going, oh, I take that deep breath. 
the the nervous system's restored, right? You can get not, but it's it's can be somewhat restored by just thinking about it. But it acts adds it amplifies. It's like savoring it to your hard drive, right? When you sense it, and that's that does seem to be um, the secret sauce um, in the model that's so easy to learn, and why children, teens, and adults can all learn it, you know, in a very equal way. So I'm just wondering as you bring it forward, you know. Um, are there things that have been challenges? Can you share some of the things that like, oh, I didn't know this was going to happen or um, have them, there been stumbling blocks to people learning it or not in your experience? <clears throat> I have not, again, another strength. I know it sounds like I drank the Kool-Aid, but another strength of the model is that I, I have not run into people having difficulty learning it. The only um, barrier that we have found, and this is, I think, kind of classic of those of us in the helping profession, is um, sometimes people resist the self-care piece. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if you're teaching it in terms of how a nurse can help their patient or how a teacher can help their students, um, their mind is more open. But often when you talk about w- what we need in reaching deep inside, it's hard for, that can be hard for people. Well, and, um, and, you know, I just know so many nurses that have been some of my dearest friends and colleagues over the, my whole professional career. And I think this is true of social workers, which I'm one, I think, you know, is that we're really good at taking care of other people. <laughs> we're good at it. We've got it, but not so good about saying, pause, how are we taking care of ourselves? So I think the other part um, that has been shared in the research is that you can integrate it pretty simply into your activities of daily living. So it's not something you necessarily have to say, I have to go to a quiet room to do. And do you think that's one of the benefits for nursing that that it is kind of so accessible in that way? Absolutely. And I think the nurses actually told us that um, starting with Lindy Grabby's first study, uh, when the nurses reported how they were using the skills, it could be as simple as, you know, counting their steps as they walked into a patient's room to make sure that they were in their resilient zone before they began the patient encounter. Yeah. So some of those very simple things, I think, because nurses and frontline workers are so busy, that you don't have to go someplace else. You can do it in the present moment because I think there is that kind of dosage of well-being. <laughs> is that if we don't do that, like counting the steps, for example, and you just get stressed and stressed and stressed, it's like pretty soon you you fall over the cliff because you can't keep doing that. And I think, you know, in us, you know, there's many factors about you know the stress that healthcare has healthcare workers have experienced. But I think there was just too darn many people that were sick and dying for how many, how much how, the staffing that was available because we, we weren't prepared for the kind of pandemic. Would you say that was true? Absolutely. And then the resource issue where the staff didn't have the supplies and the equipment that they needed, um, which has always been there to some extent, but the pandemic just exacerbated. Um, and a lot of systems can work broken if they're not pushed to the max, but once they're pushed to the max, that's when you see the, that breaking point. Right. And I think this is so important right now because we know that there are many nurses that are leaving the field because they're done. It's been too much without a, enough support to um, be able to continue their job. So this is also something we're trying to do, say, well, what if we have these doses of well-being? Could that keep you in the profession that you've started out with that you truly loved? 
Well, we are going to, we're ready for our break in just about a minute or so. And we are going to be coming back and talking to Dr. Ingrid Duva. She's going to tell us what she found out when she did the evaluation that was published in the American Journal of Public Health. So we know a little bit more about, well, if we want to, if we want to do this in our own state, in our own community, what in the heck did they do that um, was uh, worthwhile? I always say worthwhile enough, um, Ingrid, to get published in the American Journal of Public Health. Because, I mean, that's a, um, I was very excited to see that you all had done that and that people are, people are listening to what you're doing. And I know the three of you and many more are working very hard to accomplish this. So we will be back in, in just a couple of minutes um, after we hear from our sponsor, the Trauma Resource Institute, and we will continue our discussion with Dr. Ingrid Duva from Atlanta, Georgia. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The Trauma Resource Institute is a nonprofit organization cultivating trauma-informed and resiliency-focused individuals and communities worldwide. Our mission is to take people from despair to hope. We believe in a world where every child and adult has the capacity to recover from highly stressful and traumatic experiences. Check out iChill, our free app that helps you learn the wellness skills of the community and trauma resiliency models. Go to TraumaResourceInstitute.com for more information. Elaine Miller-Karras' book, Building Resiliency to Trauma, The Trauma and Community Resiliency Models, is available on Amazon.com. The book is about how to cultivate resiliency during and in the aftermath of traumatic experiences. The book also addresses body-based trauma interventions combined with psychoeducation about the biology of trauma and resiliency. Elaine also offers personal consultations. For more information, you can contact her at elaine at resiliencywithin.com. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Elaine Miller-Karras co-founded the Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. The Institute provides trainings on the models Elaine developed, the Community Resiliency Model, or CRM, and the Trauma Resiliency Model, or TRM. If you would like more information about the Trauma Resource Institute or how to participate in trainings, visit the Institute's website at traumaresourceinstitute.com. That's traumaresourceinstitute.com. Trauma Resource Institute. Build resilience. Awaken hope. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency Podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
This is Resiliency Within with Elaine Miller Karras. To reach the show during our live broadcast, please call in to 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Elaine at resiliencywithin.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back. I'm Elaine Miller-Karis with Resiliency Within. I'm talking to Dr. Dr. Ingrid Duva from Atlanta, Georgia, who's been um, leading the community, one of the leaders of the Community Resiliency Model um, workshops that have been spread throughout the state to um, increase well-being in entire communities, but including our frontline workers. So um, I'm going to ask Dr. Duva right now if she could talk a little bit about the study that was published in the Journal of the uh, American Public Health about the evaluation of CRIM. So if you could tell us a little bit about what you studied and the outcomes and what you see as the projections um, from the study that you did that why it's important and why they just, you know, they decided to publish it obviously because they think your findings, your evaluations are important for us all to know about it. Well, I'm, I mean, to, before I start, I will say that we have done some randomized control trials with CRIM so that we're really trying to isolate um, the model as an intervention to, to see, you know, to make sure it's not confounding issues that are all to attribute improvements that we consistently see with CRIM. Um, but this particular article focused on our response to COVID and to all the resiliency requests and spreading it across the state. And what our evaluation, I think, shows and, um, you know, the reason it was published is that as nurses, we were able to reach cross-sector and build partnerships with um, very influential organizations who could reach all the people we were trying to reach across the state and help us um, take a model that's so flexible and adapt our training to meet the needs of the people in their local site. And I will say, thank goodness for, you know, things like Zoom and Microsoft Teams that we're able to meet with people during the pandemic and we don't have to be in person. So we had that option and we found, as you know, because you took um, your trainings virtual, you flipped yes. to virtual with yeah. COVID. We were very pleased with the reception that um, all of our participants had to using Zoom or um, being virtual. Well, and when you talk about too a state like Georgia that certainly does have metropolitan areas like Atlanta, but you are really a rural state with so many different rural counties, right? So that when you are on Zoom, it really does increase the accessibility um, for people to attend that otherwise may not have been able to attend because of just the distance and and all the difficulties that that happen when you live in in, in rural America. Well, I mean, and the success of teaching CRIM through Zoom, um, I mean, we attribute that to a lot of our success in, in reaching the rural areas because it made it feasible. Like we, yes. as instructors, I mean, we um, once you learn CRIM, it's great because you can start <laughs> using the skills and sharing it with others and guiding others, but we still um, are all certified, those of us who are teaching large groups. And so it made it feasible for us to reach people without having to get in a car and um, drive to Brunswick, Georgia, which is on one side of the state um, versus, you know, Bainbridge, Georgia on the opposite side of the state. And so there we were able to, to reach people and um, we had very... Um, 
positive evaluations of the Zoom sessions. We were able to deliver them in short increments of time as needed. We always promote um, longer amount of time. So, um, what was but, so how long? Do, how long were the, the the workshops that you did? So, we designed it so that we would deliver um, three different times a one hour session, so that participants from that local area or region or organization had options for when they could attend, and we would introduce the model in that one hour. And I think that one part of CRIM's success has to do with the receptivity of people who attend the sessions, because if you're attending the session, you're interested in it, and right. it is easier to, I think, learn and adopt the skills into your own sort of lifestyle or you already uh, have a motivated learner. I mean, that does yes. always make a difference, doesn't it? it yeah, it does. And I, and I, and I think that's okay because we want to meet the motivated learners needs. And along the way, we always pick up some people, but after attending that introductory session, we invited, you know, anybody who wanted to come back to a three hour workshop. And so I think we got more people back to the three hours that way, because when they attended the one hour, it resonates with you. And, you know, you see this potential and so you want to learn more and just like anything else, um, a little bit of repetition is good, right? So we learned that way and we could go into more depth in some areas of the model and more practice so that people could practice using the skills with themselves and with others. And we could give feedback, um, all possible virtual. We, we still teach in person, like later today we'll be in person um, with the campus police, but these sessions during the peak of COVID were all virtual. And, and the ones that you talk about in the evaluation. So, so did you find that there was, um, I mean, did you evaluate if there were changes in, in people's well-being? Was that something that you looked at as well, or did you evaluate just if they liked the training or not? So I have, we have done evaluations, um, you know, checking people's pre and post well-being scores, anxiety scores, um, team relationship scores, you know, I've done that with some of the hospital staff, but in this particular evaluation that was published, um, it focuses on if, you know, people's response to the training, if, if they felt like it met their needs, if the trainers did a good job reaching them, if they, what they learned from the training and then what skills uh, or what they use from the training afterward. So, um, Again, it was more about um, the deployment of the model and whether or not it was effective than, um, than the change that we see in people, the specific right. change. And so, so what did they say about, about um, what they were still using? Like what was the outcome for them after um, they learned the skills? Well, we had a lot of uh, different responses, but we did find that most people were in you know, trying to use the skills, even just after an hour session. And um, most of them would talk about um, sort of that reminder to use skills that are easy, such as grounding or gesturing. And many people will talk about developing their own resource and how they found that that was actually going to be very useful for them moving forward. Um, and then a, a lot of people responded, you know, just how easy it was to learn and how excited they were to have something else to do to support their own well-being. Well, and I love this. I love that they said they were excited because if they were excited to have something, that means that there's a higher um, 
uh, I think, possibility for them using those skills down the line. And also, we always say that when we do a community resiliency model workshop, we're creating CRIM guides, not only guiding yourself to your own well-being, but you often share it with your partner, your kids. And so it begins to spread now because I know, have you shared the skills with your kids? I think you have, haven't you? Yes. <laughs> yes. And so, so there's parts of it that they still hold on to. Yes. More or less resistance, depending on which child, but yes, they, <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I just love that, that you, you know, you started learning this for your kids and that you actually taught your kids this as well. Well, you know, so is there anything that you think is really important for our listeners to know about the, the piece that was written in the, in the journal of, the American Public Health Journal? Well, I think I talked a little bit, or maybe I haven't, about um, the ability to adapt the model uh, to meet, you know, whatever the local need is, depending on who the participant is or who the organization is or community. Um, But because of the timing for most of this, I think one thing we tried to emphasize was, um, because in addition to COVID, we had you know, the social justice movement sort of. Well, and you had some serious things in Georgia that it was Mr. Mombry from who was murdered from Georgia. Yes, we had that. And and just um, being in healthcare, seeing the disparity in outcomes in COVID and, um, you know, raising the issues that needed to be raised, but it was very polarizing. It was also, we had an election that was very polarizing. So there was a lot going on. <laughs> and Georgia we, was kind of like in the center of it still yes, is. We were, we <laughs> yes, still and, are. And still are. Yes. <laughs> but um, what I think what it brings up are these behaviors that we just were so appalled by many behaviors. And I, and I think when we're teaching the model, um, one thing that was eye-opening for many people is just uh, the understanding of, these behaviors that are really because we're out of our zone, right? Yeah. And so if we can recognize why people are behaving in such a way, and we talked a lot about compassion and how important it was, you know, to just to understand it and recognize it um, as opposed to just react to it. Right. So, you know, I think you say it a lot. There's that, you know, between an action and a response, you have the space, right. you can choose how to respond. Yes. So sort and of, I think we help people learn how they can find that space because otherwise it's just so reactive, right? So they can like pause, you know, sense that leave in little moment of well-being and say, okay, I'm going to say this instead of that. This is going to get me in way trouble. And this is going to be maybe bring us together so we can have a conversation. And for our participants that uh, the whole idea of what else is true was so important because we can get consumed by everything that is happening around us. When you go to work and it's stressful and you come home and it's stressful and you turn on the news and it's stressful and um, just finding that what else is true because it, it is out there. Yeah. So just so that you know that in the community resiliency model, I often say what else is true is that there can be a lot of chaos, but then what else can we say exists? Oh, I have this really strong friendship with the colleagues that I work with on the unit. Or that one time we were able to save that one person that we thought that that person would never be able to survive. And so when we amplify those stories of hope, it does have a way of increasing our empathy and compassion. And also, as we're seeing in some of the outcomes of the research, the randomized control t- trials, is that there is an increase in well-being, which means you know connections to our compassion and our empathy, self-compassion and how we look at others. So I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that, Ingrid, because that always just really is so touching to me that that is a side product of what we do. It really is a really a bonus. Um, 
unintended consequence. I, I mean, I guess as, as I sort of saw that play out, um, but absolutely. And I, I think it's just teaching people that for practicing the skills, even in times of, you know, no stress, every moment that you're in your zone, you know, you're building your resilience. Right. And so, um, in the same way that we're trying to broaden that resilient zone, we are sort of broadening our tolerance or our receptivity to people's behaviors and our understanding. And and we just really need compassion right now. I I think, um, I mean, I don't have the answers to some of the issues that dilemmas that we're in right now, but definitely the compassion piece is um, it's important for us to grow. Well, if we don't have the compassion, it's hard for us to even listen, isn't it? Uh, you know, good point. Yes. What is it that they're saying? Um, You know, that's our personal lives. I mean, we've all been in situations in our personal lives when our compassion was missing. And all of a sudden, oh, good, we found it. It's back. You know, how do we gain it back when that happens? I think, you know, I I like to say that the community is a very human model because it does um, acknowledge that sometimes we're not our best self. And that doesn't mean that there's something terribly wrong with us. It means there's something terribly human about us. But the point of it is, do we continue to be taken down like the river, you know, of despair, sorrow, violence? Or do we say, wait a second, I can pause. I can do something differently. And, you know, we see people that, you know, reclaim their lives after being imprisoned and maybe did horrible, heinous acts and then say, I will never do that again. You know, I'm always, I'm always interested in what is it about us as human beings that, even when things are really horrible and maybe we've done a really horrible thing that we can stop and repair. We can ask for forgiveness. I always think that forgiveness is bestowed upon us. We don't, we, not everybody's going to forgive us for some of the acts that we do that may be unforgivable, but we can certainly live in a different way. And that's what I love about, you know, you working with the juvenile justice system, because you're talking about a lot of kids that are in a system. And I imagine that the ratio also, um, when we look at the racism that exists in the United States is that there are many more kids of color that are in your juvenile justice system. And so how do we, how do we mitigate that? How do we change that? And I guess I get hopeful that when you're out there doing what you're doing, maybe this is one of the ways, I don't know. I'm getting really philosophical now, Ingrid. What well, do you I think about say, what I'm saying? You know, <laughs> I, I will say that, you know, part of our uh, a, a point that we try to make and every time we deliver a training is that, we do need more teachers because we want to have um, certified crim teachers that can relate to all different groups. And certainly, yes, um, you know, my colleague Lindy is a few years older than me. And if we're teaching um, kids in the juvenile justice system, I mean, we don't, I'm not sure how well they relate to us. So, um, you know, and Lindy does a great job sort of recruiting people and supporting them to train as trainers um, when they can relate closer, you know, you want to sometimes be Absolutely. taught by somebody like you. Yes. I mean, so we've actually worked in Georgia. Um, Lindy's been such a, uh, and so has, has, has Jordan in terms of covenant house. And we've trained yes. some of the, the youth there um, to be crim teachers. And we're also now developing a youth ambassador program that will be done by January. That will be a more truncated, shorter program for youth 
that will be something we can use for teenagers. So that's that's coming in the future. But if people are wondering, how do you become a certified community resiliency model teacher? You would contact our sponsor, the Trauma Resource Institute, traumaresourceinstitute.com. And you can learn all about becoming a crim teacher. And also I just want y'all to know that, you know, it is just, there's a cost to it, but we also do have a scholarship program and you can apply for a scholarship. And we really try to make those work depending on what part of the world you're in and what you're trying to do in your particular vicinity. So, you know, don't, don't be put off by that to say, okay, well, maybe I can figure out to get a scholarship to become a crim teacher. Cause we've certainly given, given plenty of scholarships to, to some of the, you know, the kids at Covenant House, House and other, um, we don't want it ever to be a barrier if you want to become a crim teacher. And if you don't have the funds that, you know, we will try to see what we can do to work with that person to become a teacher. Well, so, you know, one of the things I want to make sure we talk about um, before you leave today is there's a study that's not yet published. This is your, um, I don't know if you have a publisher in the wings yet, but I'm hoping that you it will is in re- It's in review. So it's we'll in see. review. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. We hope it happens. But there's been some really interesting outcomes from that study that um, I actually was so surprised that, of course, it was only an hour. So we wanted to see whether only an hour of learning crim skills had an impact. So Ingrid, tell us what you found. Well, um, we found significant positive improvements in uh, well-being, and we used the WHO well-being scale, which is a five-question scale. Um, And so we did see significant improvements. We saw significant decrease in secondary somatic stress symptoms. Um, And another, I think, most important finding from that study that I was specifically involved in um, because it was with healthcare workers, we were interested in sort of their engagement and work and their relationships with their co-workers, because that is so important to quality patient care. We know if we, if we have um, mentally and physically healthy caregivers, that the care they're giving is, is better. And we've seen that. We have studies that show that. So we looked at um, team relationships um, and before and after the training, and again, saw a positive improvement. And so that was, I don't want to say a surprise because my, you know, we had gut feeling that it was good for social, you know, pro-social engagement. Yes, exactly. Um, But we did have significant findings in that. And then um, we use the scale, the MAIA, which is really, um, it's a subscale from that, where we just try to to uh, identify if we've actually taught our participants to sense in. And so um, we saw that um, we had positive or increase in those scores too. So the ability to sense, sense in and, and, be, and um, increase your sensory awareness from the training. And so, I just want to underscore the importance of that because there's a whole body of evidence that we've spoken about and mentioned on the program before. It's called interceptive awareness. And when you're able to do that, you have better affect regulation, control of your emotions, better impulse control. And so if you have better control of your emotions, even if you're having a problem with a colleague, right, you can get back into that zone and have a conversation. So um, that is exciting that there was greater sensory awareness because we haven't really looked at that in that much detail yet. Yeah. So those are our results and, and our study. um, And I will say that one of the challenges with the study, it was during COVID 
Um, I think we had over 250 people register. We split them into, you know, control and intervention group. Um, I think our biggest challenges was getting people to the training Yes. Um, because you're always fighting with people's time and other right. priorities. But once they came, um, our results were really positive. So let me ask you this now. So here you've been doing so much. So what's next? What are you going to be doing with the community resiliency model in the future? Because I I understand there's a pretty exciting grant that you're working on at Emory. Yes, I am um, supporting a grant that the PI's name is Nick Giordano, and um, he has this HRSA grant, which is the Health Services Research Administration. They have funded um, this well-being work for healthcare workers, particularly um, interested in those who are working with vulnerable populations or the underserved. And so um, our work, and, I, and there are other um, organizations that have been funded for this also, but our work focuses on Metro Atlanta and the healthcare workers, and we're disseminating trainings. Um, and it's a three-year grant, and we'll be sending people to try to the Trauma Resource Institute to get um, their certification as trainers. And yeah, I think that's happening at the end of August, so that's coming up. So yeah. we're really excited about that program. And I also want to let our listeners know that there are three other University of Alabama, uh, University of New Mexico and Children's Hospital Los Angeles that all got similar grants. They're all doing something a little bit different, but they're all using the community resiliency model. So we're hoping that we're going to get a lot of good findings from that. Ingrid, our time has slipped away so quickly. We're almost done today. Um, any parting words that you would like to say to our listeners that you would like to emphasize? Yes, two things, um, uh, and they relate, and that is that the publication that is in the AJPH does focus on the ability for nurses to lead the dissemination of CRIM, and I think that that's important that we're not claiming to have special training and um, therapy, but we are able to reach people because of the work we do. So we felt like that was a good ad. I know that you're a social worker, yes. um, but we want to reach all of people the, all and address the total patient, so to speak. Um, and I wanted to give a shout out to CAPN, which is the com Community Advanced Practice Nurses here in Atlanta. It's a nonprofit. And they were really the first nursing organization to um, sort of run with CRIM. And they've been teaching it to the homeless population for several years now. And I think they're making a big difference in our community. Oh, that's so great. And I'm so glad that you mentioned um, well both things. And also, if people want to get a hold of you, how can they get a hold of you? Can you tell us the, a website? Wes, we have a website called Crim Georgia, that's C-R-M-Georgia.org. Um, and I encourage you to check it out. We have a lot of our information and trainings on there. And Dr. Linda Grabby, Dr. Jordan Murphy, and myself, we have our contact information on there and sort of what populations we specialize in. And we would love for you to reach out if you're interested in training or information about, and our studies are also listed there, the randomized control trials. So from the bottom of my heart, Ingrid, thank you so much for the work that you're doing. You're changing the world. I'm sure glad you saw that flyer that one day <laughs> in the hallway. That was some of the best information I've ever heard. And I'm just wanting our listeners to remember what else is true. You heard how important that was, but I think it's important for all of us when we have those moments of despair and darkness and saying, how am I going to get through the next minute or the next day or the next week? What else can be true in your life? And remember that, you know, those things that help you get through and the people that that love you and that you love. And sometimes things 
that are so simple. It could be your furry dog, or it could be your faith. It could be so many things. So um, Ingrid, thank you again. And until next time, this is Elaine Miller-Karis signing off from Resiliency Within. Thank you for coming. I hope you come back again. Thank you so much for joining us this week for Resiliency Within. Please tune in again next Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Elaine Miller-Karis, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again soon. Resiliency Within, with host Elaine Miller-Karras, is brought to you by Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. Visit TraumaResourceInstitute.com.